In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. ready ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast i hope everybody's having a beautiful day i hope the sun is shining and the birds are singing hope you got to wake up next to someone that you love or that at least you're feeling great about yourself and if you're not i'm going to change that right now because i have a great show with a great guest the one and only sophia dag she's a force of nature she's the kind of person who makes you feel like you are standing at the edge of a vast and beautiful universe as the founder of Elemental Empress Medicine, she's on a mission to support people to connect with the elements and to understand how they can use those elemental energies to heal themselves and the world around them. With years of experience as a plant medicine integration guide and meditation practitioner, Sophia has honed her skills in creating safe and sacred spaces for people to explore their inner worlds. Sophia's passion for conscious community building has led her to embrace the latest technology, bringing the healing energy of her work into the digital world. She's a true visionary, always pushing the boundaries of what is possible and inspiring others to do the same. Her recent book, The Birth of Ben, shares just how powerful the process of integration is for an awakening journey. Sophia, I'm so stoked you're here today. How are you doing today? Thank you, George. So wonderful to hear that introduction. And yeah, I'm doing really good. I'm yeah, loving the sunshine, the summer months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited to chat today. It's always amazing chatting with you and exploring different topics. So thank you. Of course. Thank you. You know, before we started up the show, you have this incredible thing that you do. And it's 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 like a in some ways it seems like school, like you're always challenging yourself. Sometimes I talk to you when you're in South America. Sometimes I talk to you when you're in South Africa. Other times you're in Europe. And I think that this idea of moving around so much is forcing you to grow to become the most beautiful and and most authentic version of yourself. Maybe you could tell people a little bit about that process and, and how you do it and why you do it. Mm, great, great question. Yeah, it's it's a life school. You know, it really looks like a life school in this context. <laughs> this is actually, yeah, it's been something that's been coming up for me of 
releasing the segmentation of, you know, there's a lot of compartmentalization of like, oh, I went to school and then I got this and now I have a job and this is my personal life and this is my social, you know, and this is my career life. Like, I don't have any of that because it all just, I did definitely at one point, but with the travel, it just started merging. And I, it just makes so much sense, you know, but my ego doesn't always like it. It's always, like, oh, I want to make lots of money and be able to pay for everything. And it's just like, well, what if we could just move things and bring them all together? Like you're learning while you're going and rather than spending, you know, $10,000 on a college degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's, it challenge, it's, it's challenging to, it's a different kind of journey. It's, it's harder to communicate about it then because people always ask the same questions where you yeah. go to school and, you know, so it's, it's a storytelling type of thing where I've had to get really good at telling my story to actually be able to communicate clearly, you know, what I've experienced and where, where I've been, but each country, I mean, from an elemental perspective, teaching about the elements inside the body and outside the body, it's the same for each country, which has been a big teaching with all this travel is like, if there's a drought in a country, it represents that the feminine energy is like gone, <laughs> especially at that time. Like it's really, really struggling. Wildfire is crazy masculine energy. So the weather and the climate it always reflects the people and all of their different energies. So it's just been this masterclass in energy. You know, what is energy? How does it work? Is, is how I see it. Yeah, it's beautiful to me. And I, you know, I often think, or I often hear this phrase and it seems to be part of my life and I see it in the, my environment and the people I meet, but it, it's just this idea of as above, so below. And you know, so much of the environment we live in really affects who we are. And I think people take that for granted sometimes, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about how those two things are really connected. Yeah. And we can, we can even bring it all the way down to biology, you know, like literally the gut microbiomes of people that have traveled the world are just really freaking strong. <laughs> and we can even go further than that. Cause I was reading, I did a breastfeeding course when I was in South Africa, cause I'm a doula. I work with birth as well. And she was sharing, she was like, yeah, the, the women who travel have like really diverse mm-hmm. microbiomes in their breast milk, which helps their babies be super robust. I was like, my baby is going to be bulletproof. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so many places. But what an interesting piece of information. Like there's a physical, physiological thing that happens that literally makes us more resilient from travel, you know, mirroring the whole psychological side to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it's fascinating to me. And it, it seems that not only is the microbiome robust, but it seems to me you get to have a very unique perspective on not only cultures, but the way in which the heightened states of awareness or the psychedelic ideas play out in different cultures. I was wondering maybe if you could shine some light on that. It seems to me in the world in the West, you know, we just had this big conference in Denver and it seems that everyone has a mental illness and that we're really trying to shine a light on the PTSD and in some ways fragility. Is that the same way in different parts of the country or are there different aspects to it depending on where you go? Yeah, it's, it's a great way to think about it. I, I have a, a different focus, yeah. I guess. I, I don't, I, I mean, I did study psychology and, and I left 
the, the college course because I didn't like the DSM. You know, I didn't mm, like the focus. Yeah. It was just, it just feel, it felt like it was off the mark. My, because my sole interest has just been how is reality constructed? You know, how right. is this whole thing made up? Like, what is the matrix of it? And how is, how do the energies work? That's always been my interest. And of course, you know, mm -hmm. psychological imbalances and physical ailments like come into that play, but it's not really the focus. And so, again with the psychological disorders like that's why i've loved traveling africa wow. because like namibia zimbabwe south africa they of course have their imbalances but mm. they they're just not constructing it as such a big issue you know because there's mm. bigger problems that they have right. to deal with and i think the, the pivotal moment for me was zimbabwe because i just i got there and a couple of weeks in i was just really feeling almost like i was always on a psychedelic trip because <laughs> nothing was as it seemed you know like in, in the us it's like a table is a table summer <laughs> is summer and you know there's all of these constructs that everyone has agreed yeah. to and there's so many agreements which makes the world so stable for people in the us zimbabwe like they have not agreed on these things <laughs> <laughs> There's like crazy black magic happening. There's tokenologies going everywhere, throwing stones. And like, you just never know what's going to happen. Like, it's like living in the Wild West. Like, it's so, so crazy. So I had to like really sit with that and be like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's a different perspective. Do you think, so if I shift gears for a minute, a lot of the times when people begin writing a book, People say that the first book is like an autobiographical story, but it's, I think it speaks volumes of our cultures because you're right in the West, we are locked into these, the social contract or these agreements, these things, these ideas that may have been force fed to us ever since we began school in, in, at a young age. And we're conditioned to think a certain way. We're conditioned to see the world a certain way. And in some ways we're handed the lens with which to see the world through. But as you've traveled around a little bit, maybe you can talk about was there a certain place that inspired what you what wrote in the first book or was it an amalgamation of all the different places? Or maybe you can use that to begin to tell us about the foundation of your book. Hmm, yeah, it's an, I've never been asked this, this direction. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Created, so yeah, that's, that's 10 out of 10. Um, <laughs> definitely the countries played into it for sure. Okay. Um, because the birth of Ben, obviously it's better, it's better birth. So I was in, you know, mama Africa, I was in the, the root chakra of the planet <laughs> right? for, for that whole experience. And, you know, that, that really inspired me to understand more. And I think it was super synchronized, you know, because mm. once I gave birth, I wanted to understand what is birth, how does it work? And, you know, right on my doorstep was all the traditional midwives, there was the ability like super randomly to be able to train as a doula and then go into a maternity hospital, which you just obviously can't do in the European Union or the US. So I was just there basically being treated like a midwife, like delivering placentas and like, you know, <laughs> catching babies and all this kind of stuff. And this like massive baby conveyor belt of a situation with all these different kinds of women, like of all different kinds of ages. So, you know, I got to really be immersed because I had that experience in Africa and that completely informed the book because African women, in my experience, like they were just more connected to ritual and to their bodies. Mm. And so when I gave birth and I was able to do a ritual and that's, you know, the whole orange tree and the side of, you know, that's a big, huge part of the book and the whole integration process that I share throughout it. Um, but actually to process it <laughs> to before I started writing it, I had to go back to my home country 
so I went back to to Ireland and but then I had this crazy dream when I was there mm. I was pregnant in the dream and I was running from to all my childhood houses really really pregnant and I needed to give birth but I, I couldn't mm. give birth <laughs> because all my family were around and like I was like nope can't give birth around you can't give birth. and I was like literally in the dream like panicking like you know 10 centimeters dilated kind of panicking um so I realized I had to leave <laughs> okay so and then this is when mama ayahuasca started calling me again also in my dreams because you know I live by my dreams <laughs> she started talking yeah. to me in my dreams she was like no like we need to work together so I was like okay flew to Costa Rica and I met with mama ayahuasca and after I met with mama ayahuasca the whole book came out mm. um, so Costa Rica was actually the the writing place <laughs> It's interesting to see where, you know, in some ways ideas get born in places, right? The same way you go to have the same way your child is born in a certain area or designated a certain area. So too do ideas become born in a certain area. Maybe you even get pregnant with ideas in certain, certain places. What do you think about that? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I think about everything in terms of <laughs> conception, pregnancy, and birth. So yeah. That's super cool. And I re I have, have this like, memory about ideas that came through from from people who've written mm. books that you know these ideas are not ours really and yeah. there's been experiences especially with fictional books where someone's gotten a download of the book and then yeah. they don't write it and then they actually someone else writes it and they read it you know so i think yeah these ideas come and they're a gift um but we can accept or reject them <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's interesting i i've i've heard that same scenario with business plans or products or services. It's almost, in some ways, it seems to me that the information is something that's revealed to you in ways we, we don't really learn things. I, I was thinking about this as well. A lot of the times in the West, we go to school for so long to learn things, but I've had just as much learning given to me or unveiled to me or revealed to me as I've gone to school. It seems like when you go to school, you just sit in front of someone who gives you their opinion of something they learned from someone else's opinion who knew a guy who did a thing whose dad knew it. You know what I mean? It's like, how far down the line are you going to go before you get some lived experience? <laughs> yes. That, I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds ridiculously alarming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Slightly disconnected. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, when it comes to, to writing books, did you feel that way? Did you feel as if something was writing through you? Well, it's more, it's more aligned with the methods that I teach with the mm -hmm. elements of letting the body speak. Mm. And I was very disconnected with my body, like before that, like, you know, many years before that. And I wanted to reconnect. And the, the main way to reconnect, I find this through dialogue, like is through communication of some form. Yeah. And so this was basically like me, the, the cap that was on my body communication, I had to really fully let it off to let my whole body speak and, and yeah. write the book through me about like what was going on in my womb and what was going on in my, you know, all of my body and how I was to integrate the information. So I think, yeah, it was a channeling, but just from my body. Mm. And, and there's, I've, this is what I do in sessions with people. We go into the body in a guided shamanic meditation. They're like, I never think my body has anything to say. <laughs> Just come back. out, And like, everyone has like 17 books, like inside their body. <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> it's just so much information that they have access to. And it's so personal and it's and it hits them so deep. And if people write books from those places, it of course hits other people, you know, in such a deep way. So I here's an interesting question that I, I think it's interesting, and I think the guests will, and I hope you will too. You know, as a as a mother who has a child and, and you're connected by this umbilical cord, and you know, when my wife was pregnant, I got to feel our baby kicking and like you can see the changes happening and at certain stages you can see the baby moving but for the mother she can always feel the baby there and uh, it seems to and, and as a as a man obviously one time I was connected to my mother in that certain way do you think that there's a lot of similarities the way a child in the womb is connected to their mother in the same way that we as individual people are connected to the planet hmm Yes, I, I do feel we are. And I feel like the umbilical cord is is shown in birthing medicine as like another chakra, you know, mm. it's, a, it's a whole, you know, thing of, of itself. And what I've seen with healing sessions over and over and over again, so I'm, I'm just seeing it as a collective yeah. issue, is that we do feel disconnected. And oftentimes we feel like we're not ready. Mm -hmm. And we feel rushed or we feel pressured. We don't feel welcomed and supported and held through the, the the contractions of life, you know, to rebirth ourselves into adulthood. We're really seeing this pressure point in the exchange between adolescence and adulthood. And when we trace that back to the birthing room, you know, to the labor ward, it's just, per it's perfectly mirrored, you know, baby comes out, umbilical cords cut straight away. It's like, oh, I wasn't ready. Mm. <laughs> like no more earth medicine for you. <laughs> Like there's two liters mm. of blood in there, but we're just going to keep it and we're going to dump it, you know, <laughs> you know, or even worse. It's just like, well, this is taking a lot of time. Like, let's just cut it out, you know? And then that person feels like I meant to be here. Like I, I wasn't ready. Like I didn't tell you, I didn't give you the sign, you know, like I want to come now. So the soul then mm. has an issue with embodiment. And then there's, I mean, disembodiment is probably one of the main ailments that we deal with. So people just don't want to be here then. They actually, and that's all the mental health stuff. It's like, I don't want to be here. It's because they weren't actually, they didn't get to decide to be here. And that's a huge part wow. of, of us actually, you know, dedicating to our life mission is actually to decide to be here. So, so many people go to plant medicine because you go through a rebirth, especially with ayahuasca, like my first ayahuasca experience, she asked me, she said, do you want to be here? <laughs> and I just paused. I was like, okay. I, I get to think about this for a second. Okay, yeah, no, I want to be here. Okay, cool. Let's go. Like, you know, and now at the change in life, you know, just from that one question. Um, because we need to ask that at birth, you know, like how do you want to be birthed and, and how can we welcome you onto this, onto this planet? So so much, <laughs> so much healing in the labor ward uh, will help us, will really, really help us. See, this is why you know, I love talking to you. I, I'm sorry, can you say it again. You know much about your birth story. I don't. I, I mean, I I know about I was born at 7-Eleven and I weighed seven pounds and 11 ounces and I ate a bunch <laughs> of junk food because I was 7-Eleven, you know, but I don't. I really don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little offended that I was circumcised. No one ever asked me if I wanted that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you just could take me and cut this. Hey, what if I want that? You know, like, it seems so barbaric to me. Like, in, in some ways, it's genital mutilation, right? Like, it's no different than other barbaric practices and but but this gets me into this next question like there there seems to be just from my little quick birth story alone 
there's a lack of ritual and birth in the West, and but it's mirrored in death in the West. Like we, there's no ceremony, there's no ritual, there's no real family around, and we fear both. Like in the West, we fear death so much that we take our dead and we bury them, we put them in a box, we get away from them, and like you know, we don't ever like really spend time around them. And a lot of the times, at least in my life, I've seen people that I love die before they die without even knowing. And what I mean by that is they're hooked up to like this machine that breathes for them. The insurance companies are making like 10 grand a day from the hospitals. And like de- the only ritual around death in the West is commodification. And it, now talking to you, I'm like, oh my God, it's the birth is commodified. We've completely stripped out the ritual and ceremonial aspect from them. No wonder why we're so crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I, I I went through an experience with my grandfather and I, I, I was living in Africa at the time. And it was actually just after I'd lost my pregnancy. So mm. I went through this whole full, it was a full life circle, like the beginning of life and then like the feeling of death in my body and like releasing that pregnancy. And then the end of life of like a 90 year old man. And it was just, it was so crazy. So I, I flew like 40 hours from Africa to be there to say goodbye. And I got there in time and I got to, mm. to speak with him. And that was just so, so special. Um, but that happened. They they kept going. They just kept going. He had a pacemaker put in and it, they got to the point where they were like, we're going to drain his, uh, we're going to drain his lungs, which is a very painful process. Mm. And the way that the family works, like there's certain people that, you know, can have an opinion. There's certain people that can't. So I spoke to the one of the people that could have an opinion and could have said, yeah, can't let this happen. This is over. He's, he's going and he's, you know, we need to accept this. And I was seen as like the most barbaric person <laughs> because I was like, yeah, this man is dying. <laughs> yeah. Know? Let him but go. There has to be a line, you know, cause it's pain and it's just, it's, it's I, I find that very, very difficult. That situation. Very, very difficult. Yeah. I, it's easy. I guess it's easy for me to talk about because I'm not on, I'm not on the gurney. I'm not in that position, you know, but I, in, in, but some ways I, it feels selfish to me to keep people around that are in pain, you know? And I don't know. I, I just, I, I think that the world we live in, like if we look at demographics and we see such a large swath of baby boomers, I can't help but think that a lot of the anxiety that is being played out around the world is like the unrealized dreams of people that are close to death. Interesting. Okay. So you feel their unrealized dreams are what tether them to their physical bodies? Well, I feel like that as you move towards the end of your life, you begin reflecting. You know, some people have like what they call a midlife crisis. Some people have different challenges as they move through their life. And as I've moved, as I move through my life, the challenges that I've had previously in my life become clear to me and they become, oh, that was necessary for me to be here. So if I, if I say to myself, the best predictor of future behavior is past relevant behavior. And I play that forward. I imagine that there is lots of people in their seventies or eighties that are beginning to feel as if, oh my God, I didn't accomplish the things in my life. Oh my God. I spent all my life working instead of with my family. Oh my God. I was tricked into this idea of success being monetary gain. And I can't imagine what that must feel like, but I have heard stories from death doulas that have been like, oh my gosh, I sat with these people. And sometimes the look of, of, agony on their face when they die. I can feel it. Like it's these unrealized dreams. And so when I see these, the point I'm making is that 
when we look at like the Ukraine war and we look at the people in government, like it seems to me that these are people that have lives that have been very unfulfilling and they're desperately trying to play their last hand. And that's playing out across the world. Like these people are living in fear. They want to go to war. They want to extract resources quickly and as efficiently as possible. Like why? Like these, this is this is the ideas of someone knocking on death's door, begging to live one more day so they can have a little bit more. Like that, it gets back to the idea of, I don't know. I, th I think it just gets back to the idea of of anxiety and unrealized dreams and how it how that plays out on the rest of us. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel there's an art to dying peacefully. Yeah. And it's an art that we should all learn. <laughs> Like, how do you want to be at the end? Because, I mean, yeah. the truth always comes out. It just, it has to. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, even if it is in silence, like, that's such a powerful experience for death doulas to see that that agony because, you know, it, it, it does show a sense of justice that the people that show up and are, and are courageous enough to fulfill their dreams, like, sometimes that can be a hard road to take, you know, but yeah is it harder to die with regret? You know, it's, it's a little bit, you can kind of actually get a bit of perspective of like, okay, well, what decision do I want to make here? Cause I'm going to have to face it either way. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a tough question to ask, right? How do I want to die? You know, and at what point in time in your life, I think it matters at what point in time in your life do you ask yourself that question? Yeah, this was actually, I, this came up on a recent call. I was sharing how I built my online platform yeah. um, on Heartbeat. And some people were asking about motivation and consistency because the biggest issue that people have with building online communities is like, that sounds like a great idea on Wednesday, but like two weeks later, <laughs> it's like, oh no, my baby needs me. Or, you know, mm -hmm. I just decided I actually don't like that idea. You know, it's like, <laughs> how do you maintain this? And so I'm like nine, 10 months in now. So I'm like really cozy with the situation. And one of the tips that I shared was that I, I don't think about it on a day-to-day -day basis. I think about, you know, my my 80-year-old self and like yeah. her looking back and thinking, oh, well, that was really cool that she did that, um, you know, at this stage. So I don't, I don't like to think about it in this current year, what kind of impact it's going to have, because realistically, it's not going to be that. You know? There's only so much we can do in a year. So I think it's really helpful for people of all ages to just contemplate how they want to feel when they're 80 or they're 90. And then work back from there. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. You know, you had said something earlier that I that was kind of playing in the back of my mind. You said you lost your pregnancy. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. So deeper, deeper story of my my processing of the relationship between the masculine and the feminine. Let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I manifested something very, very difficult, which I feel is in my lineage, like it was in my body, something that mm -hmm. I was attracting in. I really didn't know how to use my creativity. I had no clue. And as you can tell from chatting with me, like I have a lot of energy. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, what do I do with this? Okay, I don't know how to use creativity or my cycles or anything. So um, I'll just create a human because that's like the only thing I know how to do. So <laughs> So I manifested this and I was, I was pretty unconscious about it. You know, I was super, super young and super, you know, <laughs> didn't have any kind of job. I just moved to Africa. I had no uh, family support, nothing at all, but it was just, it just manifested because I, you know, that's what I was thinking about. But the father of the pregnancy just gave it to me straight. He was just like, no, I'm not like ready for that. And I can't do it. 
Um, so I was like, okay, <laughs> what, what do I do then? You know, cause I, I clearly couldn't do it by myself. Yeah. So I had to sit with that and we were in the middle of nowhere in a tiny farmhouse. And I just realized like the morning after I told him, like I woke up in the morning and I realized what had to happen. And I just broke down. Like I never, mm. ever in my wildest dreams thought I would be in that situation. Like I was so against making that kind of decision um, until I was actually in the situation myself. And I realized mm. I had to make that decision uh, because I re like, it was such a teaching in my responsibility as a woman, as a creator, because I was holding everyone's life in my in my decision making, you know, and I had to stand yeah. by my decision no matter what. Um but it just, it was, it just felt like the, that was the only way that I could deal with the situation. And yeah, so we moved forward with that and you know, the pregnancy ended very early after it started, but I'm very empathic and very central person. So I felt it so deeply. I yeah. felt the experience deeply. I felt the birth deeply and I went straight into shamanic mode. I mean, I was communicating with my ancestors and the whole process of birth I did at home and I had a ritual with an orange tree and there was a lot of energy clearing and I, the elements were speaking to me so strongly about like how to deal with this kind of processing of difficult energies of death, how to process death. Mm. Um, and so I was given an, I was given a gift, you know, from the earth, you know, ch children are of the earth. And so it just made sense to give that, that gift back to, to the earth after I gave birth. And I, I processed a lot of this through ayahuasca. Like I went back mm. into that experience and uh, processed it. And now I feel it's it's a great way for me to share about how ayahuasca helps with women's medicine and with birthing trauma. So whenever I work with people with any kind of medicine, I always ask them about their birthing history, their physical birth, or if even if they're male, like have your partners had stillborns, have your partners had miscarriages, because it all starts to come out when we start to work with these deeper realms of the psyche. Wow. You know, it, it's it really makes you look back at some of the most powerful stories in a light that was never possible. You know, if, if you look back at the way Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son, all of a sudden you see these stories that are deeply written in the human code in in the majority of scriptures of sacred books of all cultures about losing a child or you know sacrificing a child and i don't use that word lightly or as a pejorative i use it as a losing a child you know and i in some ways it can be the ultimate gift because it's something you can't control it's something that happens to you but in doing and when that happens to you it fundamentally changes who you are as a person. And it does bring you a connection to something bigger, be it the planet or God or whatever that bigger thing is to you. It creates a connection that can never be severed. It creates a connection that will be with you forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, it's just been the biggest example of yeah. how even the darkest situations yeah. in life if it's it's just if we look at it as energy it's a huge mm. amount of energy and if it can be transmuted in a healthy respectful mm -hmm. way it can transform like you said like people's lives yeah um, and so for many women as i spoke with women after this is the main reason why i wrote the book is because i just spoke to woman after woman mm -hmm. and they just suppressed it there mm -hmm. was no ritual there was just tears there was just floods of tears 
And I was like, this is not right. These women are suffering. You know, they, they deserve to know these simple rituals, you know, this so, mm-hmm. so simple that can bring them healing and can bring them peace because nobody wants to make that decision. It's not just something that's easy in any shape or form, you know? So I, I just, it upsets me then that people are shamed and they can't speak about it. It's like, no, those people deserve our utmost respect and respect, like support for what they're going through, you know, because it needs to be heard and it needs to be seen. And yeah, it's, it's a deeper topic. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I don't think, I don't think apologizing is the right thing to do. Like I, I'm, I'm so excited that you wrote about the way in which you found to deal with it in a way that's positive for other people. I think that's beautiful. And I'm, it, it brings me up this, it brings up this idea to me that I've been speaking to quite a few different people in, in the world of psychedelics and entheogens. And I'm beginning to see that finally, at least in the West, we're, we're beginning to move towards, Hey, these medicines are different for women than they are for men. And it seems so crazy. That it's taken this long for us to begin moving in that field. You know, maybe you could speak to that a little bit. It seems that you have much more, that you have much more experience in understanding these medicines from a, a specific gender point of view. Hmm, yeah, it's a topic I do, I do love. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because like we're going back, you know, we're saying about the births and we're saying right. about parenting and all of these types of aspects. I really felt in that situation like I needed more than what my family could offer me right. in regards to guidance and support. And what I felt like with ayahuasca was like she was the mother I was waiting for. Mm-hmm. I was looking for her mm-hmm. and I needed her support more than anything in the world. Like I just yeah. needed that kind of big holding type of support. And, you know, obviously men and women experience that differently, but, you know, particularly with ayahuasca, it's known for healing birthing traumas. And I've had that experience because I, when I went into ayahuasca, one of my, one of my ceremonial trilogy days, Mm -hmm. and I was giving a lot of power away to her. I wasn't like instructing her what to do. I was kind of just like, oh, well, you show me what I need. And, you know, Mm -hmm. just me being super feminine and super like non-instructive and like really docile. (laughs) The shaman was like, no, like, you do know you can tell her what to do. Like you can tell her where to go and what to heal. And I was like, really? <laughs> okay. So that night she showed me how to do that. And uh, yeah, the women were able to to come into the center of the space and the men were, were placed on the outside. And we were basically instructing ayahuasca to do a womb cleansing. And I just, it's one of the most incredible experiences of my life, you know, to see so much releasing of spirit children and miscarriages and ancestral wounds and, you know, all of this shame. And and the men just were there with shakers, just holding the space, you know, you're Mm. safe, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe was basically just what they did for like two hours as women just, and what, what was so beautiful was that we were recognized as the portals between heaven and earth. And Mm. we were recognized for, you know, there's beauty and there's amazing beauty in that. And there's amazing suffering. You know, there's such huge suffering. And I felt so seen as a woman, you know, in that role, in that ceremony. And so, yeah, plant medicines have, have that power to remind us of what masculine is and what feminine is in a healthy way, you know? I love it. Sophia, it seems to me that when, 
and maybe this is just because I'm I I live and I am I live in the in the world of the West a lot of the times, or at least a lot of the literature that I'm reading or a lot of the books that I'm reading are centered around this process. And when I speak to you, I really get to see a different ritual, a different modality. And let's just take, for example, the ceremony you're at, where here are a group of women that are moving through a healing ceremony and the men are holding space outside a circle and the women are in the inner circle. That's so much different than almost every retreat that I hear about where four people go down, they get one day of ayahuasca, they get one day of mushrooms, they have an integration session, and then they get a phone call three weeks later. You know, and it speaks volumes. Like we have the Fademan protocol and we have the Stamens protocol. Here's two guys that are talking about microdosing, genius on both of them. I'm not taking anything away from them, but it's just, it, it speaks volumes of the way in which we are looking at this medicine in such a one dimensional way. And that's why I love talking to you. I, I really enjoy learning about, you know, the long history of women in the underground who have been providing this type of service who haven't really got any credit. I, I think there's a lot of beauty there. Thank you for that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about some of that. Mm, yeah. Women in the underground. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My next book. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> it's a great title, by the way. It's a great title. I will give right? you credit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose I feel connected with women in the underground because uh, that's that's my in my ancestry. <laughs> like my grandmother was a woman of the underground, and you know she was a rebellious kind, super super rebellious human. And I have a lot of her spirit in me for sure. And she always wanted to do what I'm doing. She wanted to travel the world, but she got TB, so she she mm. got married and she didn't end up doing it. But she was the one who was at the beginning of the Irish revolution for contraceptives for women. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I really take a lot from her. And, and when I went through this healing with my birth, I went to my Irish shaman and she did some soul retrievals for me. And uh, she went back into my ancestral lineage and she saw that there was a woman in my lineage that had actually performed abortions and she had felt very guilty about it and she had been kind of shamed about it and mm. everyone after her who had had abortion in my lineage then felt this massive shame about it because it was like kind of going down through the, the line and I do feel like that's very true for many women like there was previous women who worked in the underground and there's so much shame wrapped up in it so now even if now it's all out in the open or it's legal or whatever there's uh there's these issues about it. So what I'm seeing is like there's a revolution of the legalization of things. And now there needs to be a revolution of, you know, women's medicine and women's ritualistic practices. Like these women need to start kind of speaking up. And that's why I love the elemental medicine school, because it's like yeah. my go-to guide of like, share what you want to share, because I want to go to your ritual. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go into your medicine. So, you know, I'll help and, and share how to do that. Um, because we need this, this deeper insight. We need, like, in my opinion, it's better to come away from the 10 steps for success and stuff like that. Like there's deeper wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. And we have access to it. I mean, like you said about school, like it's not mm -hmm. like there's no course in this. It's, it's, it's only about going deep inside yourself. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the whole thing, you know, just go deep inside and you'll find it. Yeah, this idea of lived experience as the ultimate teacher is it's it's, it's something that I think is feared. You know, it, it it seems that going to school and getting a piece of paper from a qualified institution 
Like I can see, I get it. I understand the safety issue of that. I understand the, the, the reasoning for it. But I also understand it promotes mediocrity. It's like, hey, if you have enough money, then you can go here and do this thing. But you're not, you're, you're not really getting the lived experience. You're getting, like I said, you're just getting someone else's opinion of it. And it, in some ways, it makes the best people arise because there are people that are going out and going through the lived experience. And they are finding the lessons on their own and they're learning for themselves. And those are seem to be the people that can really help other people is the people that are doing. You know what I mean? There's like a difference between practicing and doing. And I think if you go to school, you're practicing. And that's fine. You should practice. But someone who travels around or starts something from the very beginning and has the teachers show up when they need I'm like, that's doing. It's, it's a, I don't know. what I, I really admire the process of it. And I, I hope that the people listening to this podcast are inspired by you and, and by me and, and by all the other people out there that are doing. Because everybody can be a doer. Everyone can start something on their own and become the best at it if they're willing to have the courage to, to do it, to believe in themselves. And like that, that's kind of where the healing comes from, right? Like you begin healing yourself by becoming your authentic self, by having a little bit of self-love and rewarding that and feeding it back into you. And then that feeds back into the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love it. And it's just, it's true. And it's hard to digest at the same time. Like I, I, I understand the difficulty in the digestion. Yeah, like, I do get it's hard. It. Um, but it's, it is, I feel... I don't want to say the only way forward, but I just don't mm-hmm. think we can talk about like unification or one love or, you know, actually caring about each other unless we change the educational system because right. there's a deeper issue that comes with paying for education because then you only see the people that are of a certain level as teachers. Like that person right. is a teacher because they're this or that. There's all these different reasons for that right. being a teacher. But the homeless person that I just walked past on the street, no, he's not a teacher. Or the person in the barista, he's not, they're not a teacher. No, 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 you, you, you right. did not train as a professor. And it's just like, right. no, everyone's your teacher. <laughs> yeah. You're your teacher. Everyone's a reflection of you. So it's just a different perspective. And I feel like when everyone open up, when people who do open up to the world and every single person being a teacher, I find them to be quite compassionate and mm-hmm. um, receptive, like really, really receptive to life. And that's, I mean, that's an evolutionary thing, but it's also a sensual thing. It means you actually get to sense yeah life you get to have every experience is so enriched and full because there's not that much seeking it's like i actually don't know what's happening right now (laughs) so i really have to pay attention because this is kind of weird i'm not sure (laughs) so yeah it's i love what you're sharing it's definitely stimulating a lot of different thoughts yeah you know i think that there is a problem i mean obviously there's lots of problems but one of the ones that seems to be a a perpetuating cycle is the idea of education and how we try to put the blinders on the situation. Maybe maybe it's not blinders. Maybe it's our desperate need for control. Okay, here's these medicines. Here's the ways we can use them. Here is the schools that you're going to go to. But I think in our previous podcast, you had mentioned that on some level, here you are in South Africa and you're providing this help to people and they're like, what school did you go to? Or where's your, do you have a diploma that says that you can serve this medicine? Like that's gotta be pretty frustrating, right? 
Yeah, I mean, no, I was thinking about this as well the other day. Like, um, it's it, it feels like to me the things that I feel cold to share, mm -hmm. like they're not in they're not in courses yet. Like it's just <laughs> still yeah, they're like a million miles ahead of the course. That's why. Well, I mean, it's not hard when it's like what someone heard, you know, from someone heard like fifty right. years ago. You know, right. it's really not right. hard to be ahead of the curve when you're yeah. <laughs> competing with that. It's true. So. You know, and and people, I mean, at the end of the day, people just don't care. Like it's mm. it's so much about how we make people feel. And I, yeah. I I mean, because I'm not in that space, I make an extra, extra, extra effort to be incredibly organized and disciplined and, you know, show up as, as a professional. You know, that's kind of on the practitioner's part. If they're not in a certain kind of field or not trained in a certain kind of way, that's up to them. Um, but I think, yeah, people actually really don't care if you're, if you're giving them a feeling that they like, and you're taking them somewhere where they want to go, which mm -hmm. is basically only yeah. where I have been. I have, the only thing I've really done is gone very deep inside myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> figured out what was there. And I have no idea what's inside other people, but they yeah. can sense that I've gone deep inside myself and therefore I can take them deep inside their selves. So I, I'm, I'm as curious as them <laughs> as to what they're going to find. <laughs> let's go <laughs> yeah that's that's yeah that's an incredible breakdown in the world of psychology you know the things you see in other people are only the things you recognize in yourself be them good or bad right and that's people see that in you i heard a great quote yesterday that was something along the lines of people may not remember what you say to them people may not remember how you look but they will definitely remember how you made them feel yeah for sure. And this, this whole relationship reflection thing, I mean, I just think it's so interesting because again, we travel, I meet so many yeah. different people. And if someone sees me as like, some people see me as all kinds of things. If, if some people see me as like a really good teacher, then I, I end up teaching or sharing yeah. a lot with them where I see them as a really good teacher and I receive so much from them. Some people see me as like, uh, like way too young or they see, mm -hmm. see me as like white and female or like whatever. And then they only get from me what yeah. they see. So it's just like, yeah, it's, 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 I love, I really want more people to experience that because it's so free of judgment. It's, it's mm. so not about, you know, me. <laughs> it's how people, how people perceive us. Mm. That's beautiful said. What a beautiful gift it is to get to see yourself the way other people see you, right? Yeah, and to watch the change. Like, if you yeah. start to love yourself, then people start to love you more. And it's just like, oh, okay. I can play this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just got to click your ruby red slippers three times. You had the power all along, right? And you can yeah. go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere. The answers are everywhere. You just got yeah. to be in tune and look at them and – and you'll read books in a different way once you begin to understand that you've chosen all these things in some weird way. I think Matt Zeman had another great article today where he spoke about instead of saying this happened to me, just say this, I chose this to happen or I chose this. And that shifts the way you look at yourself. It shifts the way you see your relationships. It shifts. It maybe it maybe it takes us back to the beginning of this conversation and changes the ratios of your senses. And that changes everything. Yeah. Can, can you share more about what you mean by ratio of senses? Of course I can. And it's a great question. Thank you for asking. So I think that the way I, I've been reading quite a bit about sense ratios and 
it started to me, it really started to weigh on me. Like, you know, when you, when, when something is on your mind, you begin seeing it everywhere. And I like to think that that's the way the world is speaking to you, whether you're outside in your garden or whether you're reading a book or whether you're listening to a podcast. And this one little part of the podcast sounds louder to you. And for me, that happened with this word sense ratios. I was reading the book Gutenberg Galaxy by Marshall McLuhan, who I've really begun to have an affinity for. And he begins his book talking about the printing press. And he says, the printing press fundamentally shifted the human condition because it changed the way we use our senses. And what he means by that is that it gave us the idea of exact repeatability. And I know that that's kind of a mouthful of words. So I'm going to say it two more times and then I'm going to pause for a minute because I want people to really understand this term. Exact repeatability. Exact repeatability. Silence is so powerful. Exact repeatability. <laughs> and so imagine what that means to everybody listening right now. That means that I could write something down in a book. Or Sophia's awesome new book, Birthing Ben, is written, and it's exactly the way she wrote it down. Now, that book can be passed down to five generations, and you get the exact repeatability of what she said. And so that takes us into this idea of, you know, this is what she said. No, this is what she said. But it's the first time, the printing press was the very first time we could do that. And so this, the same way that when you, when you go to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move off this path, but I'm going to bring it right back. So let's say that as a, when you're teaching a child about animals, like they see a bird for the first time, a child sees a bird and is like, wow, look at this mystical beast flapping its wings in front of me. And then the adult comes in and says, Hey George, that's a bird. That's a bird, George. All of a sudden, they've taken my definition of a magical beast flapping its wings right in front of me, maybe some demigod. They've taken that away from me and said it's a bird. They've given me this label. Okay, That is exact repeatability. The same thing with the books. Now we have someone else's interpretation. And so exact repeatability, Marshall McLuhan, they have given birth to this idea of schools we've talked about. And you and I were just talking about people go to school now and they learn someone else's opinion about something that happened. That's the, that's the idea that it happened. And this is sense ratios. So the sense ratio we've, we have had taken away from us is almost our imagination. It is our, the sense ratio of visualizing something hearing something and then creating our own model of it in our mind was taken away from us and given us the phonetic alphabet and it was given the exact repeatability to us. And in, in that translation, in that sense ratio of gears turning, we have lost a lot. And so in the heightened state of awareness, in a psychedelic state or a state of, of in, entheogens or psychedelics, you're given back a new sense ratio. And people talk about this idea of, oh, my God, I felt like I was in the third person point of view. Oh, my God, I could see my life in the future. Oh, my God, I could see my life in the past. Hey, congratulations. You have changed the ratio of senses. Now you're now fundamentally shifting the sense ratio. And that gives you original ideas. It gives you back your imagination. It takes you away from typography. It takes you away from the world of, I need a certificate from this person whose dad brought the school. Like you don't need that. You need to shift your sense ratios. And so like, I, I just, I can't stop thinking about this because I've, I've, I've moved it into my life and it's so beautiful because I can think differently and I feel differently and I feel like I have these different insights and it's so much fun. And I want, I want it to be 
I want it to be like a virus. I want people to change their <laughs> their sense ratios so that everyone can see it like this. So thank you for asking. What do you think about sense ratios now that I broke it down that way? I mean, it was very, very well explained. I just love that. <laughs> that's like, that's like a piece of the puzzle situation. Like I can get, I can understand and feel such a pure excitement. Like, wow. I actually had a, uh, I, I was thinking about it and I'm like, wow, I wonder if I talked to chat GPT about this. And so I asked chat GPT, what would the world look like if human consciousness changed its sense ratios? And what it printed out to me was, I might have it right here. Like it printed out, in my opinion, it printed out what a psychedelic experience. I, I don't, I don't have it. I erased it, but wow. yeah, I read it and I'm like, that is a psychedelic experience. It, I'll paraphrase kind of what it said. It said, if human consciousness were able to shift its sense ratios, the world would look fundamentally different, not only to the individual, but everybody around it. In fact, the changing of sense ratios may create a world which is foreign to us. And I was like, dude, that is a heightened state of awareness, be it, a, be it an entheogen, be it a psychedelic trip, be it breath work. Like that's the same insight you get. And so I just started connecting. Like I get goosebumps talking about this. And I'm like, that is exactly what's happening. Is like we are changing sense ratios. And maybe that's what's happening. You know, we talk about these terms like the great awakening or the psychedelic renaissance. But I think that those terms are synonymous with the changing of sense ratios. How about a birth? When we're, when we're coming to the birth canal and we're showing this bright light, we're like, ah. It's a sense ratio. We're changing, fundamentally changing the ratio of our senses. Even in death, it's the same thing. And so I'm just banging on that drum because I think it's beautiful and I want more people to explore it with me. Definitely. Definitely. And I, and that's such an approachable, like simple way to see it yeah. as well. It's accessible. It's just like that makes sense. And it also like validates how scary it is and how difficult yes. it is, you know, because it's, it's, it's your whole sense of security that you're just, you know, voluntarily giving away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, here's everything I've ever thought about life. Okay. Like literally this is how I see the decision-making process that I observe with people. Like if they're going to take the psychedelic or not, or yeah. the, you know, mind altering plan. It's just like, Oh, I thought I was ready yesterday. No, not ready today. Like, you know, <laughs> and some people are like, like <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> you know, just like, so like it's a decision and it's, you know, it's a process. And, and I love the way you shared it. And it's, it's in the lexicon already. Like if you just listen closely, you hear things like, oh, I'm going to look at it with fresh eyes or, mm. you know what, I'm going to just, I'm going to sit alone in silent darkness and listen to it. Okay, well, you're just you're changing the sense ratios. And people that find themselves in a Buddhist temple meditating for three months at a quiet retreat, what are they doing? They're changing their sense ratios. And some of those particular exercises can change you forever. You know, so may, maybe we should be really taking a deep dive into what what is it about sense ratios? You know what? Maybe maybe you could do like a DNA test to see what your genetic code is and you could find out which senses you're using more. I, and then I think it ties back into your ideas of traveling around the world, like different parts of the world have different sense ratios. Maybe we could tie it into to elemental empress and find out what sort of energies and what sort of elements are are um are are tied with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'd love if people want to share in the comments like their modality for how they yes. observe this because I feel like every modality probably could have an input on this. 
Um, yeah, but this is one of my first favorite questions that I ask people is like, which element do you love? And then which element do you really dislike? <laughs> yeah. And the one that they love is usually the one that they, the sense that they lean into the most, you know, so if it's water, they lean into their intuition. If it's, if it's air, they like the sound, they like their voice. Um, but the one that they don't like is usually kind of the sense that they've come here to learn more about. Like, how do I, mm. you know, lean into that? And there can be a lot of resistance in that. So I think there's, there's a sense that we're naturally innately good at. And I also feel there's a sense that ah. we, we want to master. And of course that can, that can change throughout different stages of life. But, uh, it's sometimes I feel with the personal development journey, there's so much focus on like what we need to improve on. And all of like traditional medicine points towards like, we'll strengthen the person first, <laughs> make mm. them feel really good about themselves and then start to like, you know, say what they're, what they're here to learn. So, yeah. Do you see that in, in the work that you're doing? Do you see like a demographic change? Like, you know, because you work with different age groups and you travel so much, do you think that like these ideas of medicine are changing. Are, are we growing out of the old ideas of centralized pharmaceutical modes of addiction and moving into more of a healing space? Maybe we're, maybe we're moving back into a healing space, but what, what, what is your take on that? I, I would say the, the percentage is still pretty small, mm -hmm. you know, of people that are completely separated from, from a pharmaceutical perspective um like i've lost friends and like mm. difficult family relationships and all because of the decisions that i've made so i, I definitely think it runs it runs very very deep mm -hmm. and it, it gets very emotional for people quite quickly so yeah it's just it's just something that people are going to have diverse opinions about for a long time i feel you know, mm -hmm. and, and what I've come to with it, I mean, if someone's tuning in and they're wanting to lean more into it, I mean, my, yeah. my only approach really is just to like live, live my best life and like be really happy with the way that I'm living my life, have really good energy. And mm -hmm. I don't really need to say anything because like, mm -hmm. I, I'm just happy and enjoying my life and like smiling and like, you know, eventually someone's going to ask, <laughs> how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> And then this is, I mean, it's actually, we've circled back to this so many times in this conversation, yeah. like so much about choice. Mm -hmm. We like to have a choice, you know, and, and I think everyone deserves to have a choice about when they become aware of certain things or when they decide to take a certain life path or when they decide to come onto the planet, you know, everyone yeah. deserves these, these choice points. Um, and this is where the power of question comes in. I mean, I got that, I got that message a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm which was super challenging for me because I was so excited about what I was doing. And, and then my guides were like, no, you have to wait until they ask you a question. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to wait for ages. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd wait and I'd wait and I'd sit and I'd wait and I'd wait. And then eventually they'd ask a question and the whole situation would go so differently, mm. you know, and I've saved so much energy since I've changed that mm. little thing. Mm. Like wait for someone to ask a question. Cause then what they're really saying is that I have space. I have space mm. now information for this shift for this change and and i think that it, it's demeaning it's it's disrespectful you know to enforce any kind of perspective on anyone without that that invitation yeah that's really well said i i wish more people would incorporate that and i should probably try to incorporate that in my life more i think that's something everybody can do is is try and try and maybe sit with silence in a way that is more comfortable i think we have a problem with silence in 
at least at least I do sometimes. I I'm trying to work hard on understanding how powerful silence can be, but I've noticed it in my life as I've been thinking about it. If you if you want to see this phenomenon in one of your conversations today to everybody listening, when you're talking to someone, just pause for 4 seconds. And watch the other person be like, get a little bit uncomfortable. Like, oh my God, are they going to say something bad about me? What are they thinking? How come they didn't say something back? Like all these things start running around in your mind. But if you start doing that in your conversations, it'll really help you come up with a good answer to a, an honest question, or it'll give you an honest answer to someone else's question. Is that something like, is there different types of conversations or is there different relationships to silence in some of the places that you've traveled, that you've experienced? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I've never thought about it, but for sure. Because <laughs> I feel it, it, it directly correlates to honesty. Mm. Um, people like the countries where people are the most dishonest, I find them the most talkative. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's always like, it's like trying to see the center of a moving like phenomenon. <laughs> where's the truth? And they're like, no, I'm up here. No, no, no. You know, and you're just like, Could you just sit still <laughs> so we can actually have a conversation. Um, so there's, there's some of that going on where I find that people like the countries where they're not trying to hide, like African countries, like usually not trying to hide things. They're pretty chilled. Like, <laughs> it's like, Oh, cool. Okay. Bye. You know, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> They're not coming, they're not in social media. And I think mm. this whole silencing that you're sharing and the whole waiting for a question thing, I think the whole social media framework, if people took that in for their channels, it changes the feel of the feed, you know, it really does because it's tiring. It's tiring always reading posts to people saying, well, stop doing this and you should do that. It's like, you don't know what I'm doing in my day. How do you know I should stop doing this or start doing that? Like, that's just really like left field. You know, it's like, if you want, you can give me a tool that I may use if I feel called. But like, I just I don't get the quotes, you know, and I stopped being on Facebook because I just felt like every second post was was this thing of just like something someone had realized that, like on the toilet that morning and just decided that everyone, <laughs> everyone should do this today. It's like, whew, okay, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. It's fascinating to to get to get different perspectives and understand mm -hmm. the way we we see the world and and act in it. And I, what? Let me ask you this: What is your favorite element, Sophia? It's definitely the water. Mm. Yeah, I've had. It's been my favorite all along and I've really had to learn how to how to use it, you know, in a beneficial way because mm -hmm. I loved it so much that I think it was my greatest weakness as well. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, so empathic and like very feminine and it really led to a lot of emotional manipulation and, and like all like digestive issues even like it was very like intrinsic in my body. So as I've, you know, gone deeper with the elements, I've learned how to have better boundaries. And now I have this really beautiful relationship with the water element where I can, like I was saying with the dreams, like I can, mm -hmm. can remember my dreams, I can have prophecies, like, and this is how I feel about the elements is like, it's just like a relationship with a person. And the deeper I go with that relationship with water. Um, yeah, it just comes very naturally to me. It's just part of my sensory awareness since I was a child. Like, I think they're just gifts that I have uh, to sense to sense other people's energy. And uh, there's been a lot of healing, I feel, 
to to step into my space as, as a healer and to say to even say that sentence <laughs> i can sense energies in other people's bodies like <laughs> i would not be able to say that like years ago before i i connected with the elements um and it's just it's so <laughs> it's just like the way i am um yeah what's your favorite element i would have to probably go water too like i i spend so much time in the water or on the water or being called to the water. Like my son's name is ocean. My daughter's name is sky, you know, and oh. I didn't, I didn't even really put that together until like, so someone was, was reading one of the reading a book I wrote and they're like, and I dedicate in the first part of that book, this is to my son, ocean, my daughter, sky. And they were like, you have a son named ocean, a daughter named sky. And I was like, yeah, I, he's like, that's so cool. I never thought about that. I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it is interesting. But it, as I look back on, on that, and I, I think about the way in which my wife and I had decided on those names. It wasn't like we were just deciding to name our children after some of the most powerful forces in the world. It was just like, this is a beautiful name. Yeah, I love it too, you know? And like, but then you look back on it, and you're like, wow, that's, a, that's, that's, it's really a beautiful story that is unfolding. And I guess it gets back to the elements. So yeah, that, that's why I would, I would say the water. I've always lived close to the ocean and, you know, I, I feel at home there. And I feel protected there. And I feel sometimes like the quote that Bruce Lee says, like, be, be like water, you know, <laughs> just move into it, you know. And on sometimes, too, though, I, I feel the fire inside of me that is that is burns in a way that is so hot that I can't I have to act out. Like and if I don't act up, I'll burn up inside and. You know, I, I feel that I can draw on that fire in a way that, or I can wield that fire in a way that is a weapon. You know, it scares me sometimes because I, I, I see it burn relationships sometimes. And I'm like, I got to control this because this is dangerous. And part of me is like, yeah, that's dangerous. That's how I am. <laughs> is that crazy or what? I love it. I like it's like your inner child is just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can burn Light it watch this. <laughs> yeah, you know, to me, the, the, I, I resonate with what you're saying for sure. And, you know, the earth element is, is the remedy for that. And, yeah, the earth element helps us with it's like the, the seal on a cable. You know, we need mm. the protective seal around the, the cord that's live wire. And when that starts to fray, you know, we do get quite explosive. And so yeah. like in the physical body that that can relate to just like putting the feet on the earth and oiling the skin, you know, and that really yeah. helps with earth, with water, sensuality. It helps with like sexuality, all of those types of things really get enhanced by having, you know, oil on the skin and having like oil in the hair. And then in life, like I feel the boundaries, that's where the earth element comes in mm. because the relationships just naturally become more respectful. And this is where there's so much of, a, of an interesting block where people are like, no, I just want to be me. I don't want to like have responsibility or create like a book or create a business, and, you know, but like all of these boundaries create all of this respect. Mm -hmm. and, and then the fire flows in a very safe way through a business you know if you imagine yeah. someone who's never created anything and they're like in their 50s they're you know but if they've been building a business since they're you know in their 30s then naturally their creativity is well received it's like great awesome now we have something else to do and you know it's it has a natural flow to it elementally yeah i when i look at i think hawaii has changed me in ways because you can 
for exactly what you're saying, you can see lava flows. And like lava is this channel for fire to flow down. And it has a beautiful grace to it that makes its way to the water. And it's like you can see the way it interacts. And, you know, when, when I look at the elements and I look at the environment I live in, I feel like I can learn so much. You know, I sometimes perhaps the best teacher is a battered coastline or a waterfall, vastly superior to any sort of Ivy League school that you can go to. You just sit there and watch or sit there and learn, especially if you faced a big tragedy, if you go to a place that is sacred. For me, it's the ocean or it's on a hike somewhere. And you just sit there and listen. Like you can learn so much. All the questions that come to mind are somehow answered by a babbling brook. You know, isn't it weird that we use the term babbling brook? Like it's it's feeding you, it's talking to you. And if you listen to it, I think the answers are there. Or if you look at the way the coastline matches the mountaintops and the fractal nature of it, you're like, oh, the mountains mirror the coastline because of the erosion. Oh, okay. well, what does that mean for me? Well, well, maybe that means that I'm like this grain of sand that used to be a mountain and I'm being broken down and making my way back to the ocean so I can be reborn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's just so much in there. <laughs> Yeah. And, and it, it just, it doesn't have to be said, which is so cool. Yeah, like things are decomp. If someone has passed yeah. or you dealing with the loss yeah. of a loved one, like recently I was sharing this, I was sharing this method with someone who's just lost someone super, super mm. close to them. I was like, it's, it's natural to try and, and think our way through these things because the yeah. body's filled with all these emotions, but like the forest like has all the answers and we can yeah. actually just, we can speak to nature. You know, we can yeah. actually share that and we take it in. We see, Oh, well that tree is decomposing. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> like it just all makes a lot more sense hmm. yeah or or you know i i can't think there was a pulitzer prize winning author that wrote a book and it was about gosh dang it was so beautifully written too and in maybe it's a good thing that i don't say the title because then i can say the spoiler so there's a little bit of spoiler there's this talk of this giant tree that grows in a forest and it grows taller than all the other trees and in a way it's kind of sad because some of the other trees don't get the sunlight but this giant tree grows up and it tells the story. But then at the end of the cycle, the tree falls and it takes out all these other trees and it clears the way for the new trees to grow. And like, that's the ideas and the lessons and the language we can learn from, from looking in nature. You know, another great one is Jeremy Narby's book, The Cosmic Serpent, where they talk about these anthropologists go down to South America and they spend time with this tribe and the tribe tells them, oh, yeah, you know, we talk to the plants and half the anthropologists at this point, like, are like, OK, this guy's a lunatic. We're out of here. But if the few that stay behind are like, what do you mean you talk to the plants? And he's like, oh, let me show you this. This green snake right here is the most venomous snake in our area. And it's got these two white diamonds on its ears. And we know that's a venomous snake. This plant right next to it, it's the leaf on this plant is shaped in the exact same form as that snake's head. It's like the same ovate diamond shape. And look at these two white diamonds on the side of the leaf. That plant is clearly talking to us and telling us that it is the antidote for that snake bite. You know, when you look at it like that, you're like, oh yeah, the plants totally talk to us. If you're willing to look, if you're willing to have, you know, the same thing with the gu guarana berry. You know, if you look at that, the way that that particular vine grows, it grows up through all these trees. But when the berries bloom, they look like eyeballs, like wide open, like a crazy person's eyeballs. And if, you know, there's guarana is like caffeine in a way. So if you take enough of those berries, that's what your eyes are going to look like. You know, that's not a coincidence. Like that's nature talking to us. And in some ways it takes us back to sense ratios because we've forgotten that. 
All we know now is the unlived experience of the lessons learned in school. But if you're out and having lived experience and you see these trees and you maybe you're in a heightened state of conscious when you're seeing these things in the forest or on the battered coastline or listening to the babbling brook, you get these insights. You get this education that's revealed to you. You know, it's it's fascinating to think about. Hmm. Yeah. And it really, I, I love what you shared. It really can trickle down into our, yeah. our life choices. I mean, I had this realization yesterday. I've just arrived in this new apartment and it's run by solar power and Whoa. there's water coming from, from a spring. And that sounds really simple, but I was just thinking like, there's a, I, I've been going through a lot of different transitions and a lot of different, you know, processing different things that have happened. And I realized that the people that are living off of solar power, they, they are the people that want to live off of the sun, yeah, not off of the system. <laughs> like they're actually receiving their energy from the sun and they're receiving their water from the well. And I was like elementally seeing this as like, like a way that we can translate all of this like symbolic stuff into our literal homes. It's just like, yeah, getting getting the elements from their original sources it, it feels like a sign that one is getting closer to their own original source you know and they're, they're actually coming away from the systems and and the reliance on them yeah i love that yeah i never thought about it from that angle but that's very true me neither i was like whoa that is so cool <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's interesting to me. Sophia, we're coming up on about of an hour right here. And I got to tell you, I love talking to you. I, I think that all of our conversations have been really rewarding for me. And I really enjoy them. And I feel like I get to walk away with some new ideas to think about. And that's always a great barometer for me. Um, before I let you go, though, can you would you be so kind as to tell people where they can find you and what you have coming up and what you're excited about? Yeah, well, thank you so much. I, everyone who comes on here, I reach out to a lot of people who, <laughs> who go on your podcast. Nice. It's so nice. Like you get to like hear them in the podcast. And yeah, it's it's been such a blessing. So thank you. Thank you for all of this, for this creation and for your stories. Yeah. So so for reaching out, you can find all my information at elementalempressmedicine.com. I have some very exciting offers at the moment. I have a shamanic meditation group where we go to all parts of the body and all parts of the soul in a group, which is super, super nice. And yeah, there I have my short course to align with your higher self. So if you want to get a taster for the elements, that's fantastic. And we have our deep dive course, the Elemental Medicine School. So if you're feeling cold to any of the medicine, you can check all of that out on my webpage. And if you are interested in tarot readings, card readings, you can check out my YouTube channel. And I've, yeah, I've gone deeper into that because I'm now a little bit obsessed. I love <laughs> the card readings. I'm like channeling different elemental messages, different, you know, plant medicine, spirit messages. So definitely a place to follow my work. You know, on the topic of tarot reading, I often wonder, does it matter like what time of the day you do it? Like is it, if you do it during a full moon versus like a crescent moon, does that factor into it? Yeah, definitely. It it all factors in. <laughs> <laughs> I try, like I do sometimes, like I do them on the portals as well, or like mm -hmm. some particular, like energy high days. And, you know, so I'll also depend on like which element I'm trying to tap into as mm -hmm. well. Like water is helpful during the nighttime. Also like ancestry, I could do it during the nighttime with candles and things like that. And I find, yeah, the more attention to detail, like anything in life, like the more yeah. powerful the reading. So if, if for anything, like I'll, I'll spend a few days like checking in and channeling and, you know, connecting with, 
whatever I'm going to read about. <laughs> and I feel also because I've just like marked my, I've like mm -hmm. put some weird spiritual flag up where I'm like, I do readings. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like just like these like different energies go to me. They're like, could you read about this? Could you read about that? And I'm like, cool. <laughs> like, come give, give your messages. I'll like translate them into this video thing. And like, you know, you can just distribute it. <laughs> so I feel, I feel like I know sometimes why I read things. And, and a lot of the time I don't, I'm just like, cool. I'm just a messenger. <laughs> yeah it's awesome i love it and i'm looking forward to checking out more of the site it seems like the last time i went you've had like a full upgrade on the site on the so congratulations yeah. for that thank you yeah i'm super nice. excited about it there's there's actually two sites now there's okay. the oracle card reading sites so people can book personal readings with me and my oracle card generator if you want to get a free elemental reading and then we have the whole upgrade of of the website as well reflective of you know <laughs> the last while for me mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's I've put all the information there and I, I just feel very cool to share it at this time. Um, so yeah, super excited about it. And we also have the, the free elemental medicine community. Uh, there's a free aspect to it where we have expert calls and integration calls for plant medicine as well. So everything's really uh, lighting up at this point for elemental empress medicine, which is great. Yeah, it is because you are lighting up the world with awesome information and trying to help people throughout the world. I think that that's a mirror of what's happening in your life. I'm thankful for that. And I think people should check out the links. I think they should check out your new book, which is in the chat right there. And hang on one second, because I'm going to hang up with the audience, but I want to talk to you briefly for a moment afterwards. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Rachel, Bob, everybody in the chat, thank you so much for all the the, the wishes and the ideas and, and talking with us today. That's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.